You know you're getting a little older when you can't help but notice how many times other people use the term like in conversation. Or maybe you're one of those people who likes to correct others' grammar. Either way, thing is, spoken language is something that evolves over time. Yes, even using the word like or um or ah, uh, you know how people love to use those sprinkled into their conversation. Well, Dr. Valerie Fridland is a professor of linguistics at the University of Nevada and is the author of a book called Like Literally Dude. Dr. Fridland, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Absolutely. And I loved your intonation when you said that. It was perfect. <laughs> well, also, I'm going to be really careful in my conversation with you so I don't use any of these terms. Do you have that thing now where you just can't help but notice it when you're talking to people? You know, it's funny because I do notice it, but people often say that to me when they find out what I do and they, they get nervous, but that's the antithesis to my role. I want to tell people you're redeemed for saying those. They have beautiful histories, surprisingly social backstories, and they, they serve a really important purpose for us. So I want people to do the opposite. I want them to, to love their speech rather than hate it. Oh, okay. I feel a little better then. Let's start <laughs> with the word like, because for me, this I feel like it really started around when the movie Valley Girl came out in the early 1980s. And then the next thing you know, everybody was throwing a like into their conversation. Yes, I think a lot of us think of that as a Valley Girl feature. But if you look back in history, what I think will surprise most people is there are a few centuries too late for it to be a Valley Girl feature. It started, or at least we find our first records of it in literary sources, in the 1700s in British trial transcripts. And then if we look at octogenarian speakers in the 1990s, there was a study done where they looked at octogenarian speakers in these rural British villages, and they found that they used like in almost every sentence, much like we use it today and much like the Valley Girls were doing. So I think the Valley Girls pushed it out into the community and made it very popular, but they certainly didn't start it. Okay, so how did it evolve then? Why do we do it? Why do we use these? You know, like is so fascinating because it's an incredibly amorphous word and it has so many different functions. And if you look back about a thousand years ago, like first entered our language in about 1200 as a verb, lycaon in, in Middle English. And then it became an adjective and an adverbial. And then around 1500, a preposition and a conjunction where it would express similarity between two things. So in the case of a preposition between two objects, basically in the case of a conjunction between two clauses or sentences. And this idea of similarity seemed to become detached from the syntax of the Senate. So it was not any more requisite in a particular place like a preposition or a conjunction. And it could move around the sentence where it expressed similarity over the whole sentence. So something such as he is like a brother to me, where it's functioning as a part of speech, becomes like he's a brother to me, where it's the idea of I'm estimating, I'm approximating to get the meaning across that becomes detached from its part, its role in the syntax. Well, you've really studied this, I can tell. <laughs> and so the word literally too, which I know is overused. I myself am kind of a fan of this word for emphasis. It, it, where did that get started from? 
literally is one of those words that people just love to hate. And I can tell you, I hear a lot about it, uh, mainly from people that don't like it. But it is also very, very useful. And it just follows the same path as so many other adverbial intensifiers, which is what we call literally as it's functioning in this new non-literal sense, uh, have done over time. So it started well before this generation. It started in around 1700, 1800. We find it in literary sources like Jane Austen, James Fenimore Cooper, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Mark Twain. All of them used literally, non-literally. But where it really started to pick up this connotation of being a bad speech feature or something that disturbed people didn't really start till the 20th century. And that seems to be when it became more popular. So people probably started to notice it more. So you want people to feel good about the evolving nature of language. What does it say about us when we change spoken word like that? Well, it says that we're just doing what is natural to us. If you look back in the history of English and all other languages, they have naturally evolved over time because that is what they are meant to do. We change our experiences that we need to describe change and our ability to connect with each other is driven by our ability to adapt our language. And English didn't exist 2000 years ago. It is a new language that developed because of new needs for new speakers. And that is the history of all language. That's how we go from Proto-Indo-European, which was the ancestor of English and the ancestor of German and Dutch and Danish and Faroese, to English today that is completely separate from those languages. So it's because speakers needed to connect in communities and identify as tribes and as groups and as being like each other and as being different from others that caused language to evolve. Plus, there's natural articulatory and cognitive tendencies in language that operate all the time. So you put that together with social triggers and voila, new forms and new features. How do you deal with grammar snobs? <laughs> I talk to them very nicely. <laughs> I understand grammar yeah, snobs. <laughs> How do you resist being one, I guess? You know, I think I probably started as one, which was why linguistics appealed to me. And, and I have a student that one time told me, uh, I was such a grammar asshole before I met you. And then things changed because I think if you can start to understand language from the eyes and the perspective of a linguist rather than the eyes and perspective of a prescriptivist, where you understand the history and, and the commonality of the forms that we hate today with the, the forms that we use today without thinking about it 300 years ago that were hated then, you understand that this is just natural evolution and there's nothing bad about it. I don't I don't require people to like these features. That's really up to you. But saying they're bad is a moral judgment that really casts shade on a certain group of speakers because it's almost always the young, the disenfranchised, and women that lead in language change. And this has been true uh, for the last 2,000 years in what, English. What is your favorite, as you say, adverbial intensifier that you use in conversation? <laughs> I like mad, like he has mad skills. <laughs> okay. I, just, I think it's a little unique, but I also use literally myself because it does give a really nice emphasis. And the trick to intensifiers is almost all of them started at one point meaning something different. So literally means exact or true, but about 
500 years ago, very meant exact or true and was not used as an intensifier as it is today. So it's just natural evolution that they start to mean something huge and big and emphatic because they represented something that was 100% of truth. And that, that degree becomes their main meaning over time. Are there others that we've stopped using over time? Oh, yes, many, many. Adver- adverbial intensifiers turn over very, very quickly. So in Old English, the most popular adverbial intensifier was suive, which is a word that doesn't exist anymore. And what it did is it, it went from meaning strong originally to meaning very. So you can see that strength also contains a high degree of something, so it becomes repurposed as a degree word. But then um, in Shakespearean times, right was a very popular intensifier. So I think there's a line in Shakespeare, he was a man right fair, which means he was very fair. So there's been many, many, many. And well, you can be well good. And in some forms of British English, you still can be today. So a lot of those intensifiers have come and gone, and we still hear small remnants of them. So when we say something is well done, we're not saying it's done well, we're saying it's very well. (laughs) It's very well cooked. Well, (laughs) I said it well, there's one that I use all the time. (laughs) And now I don't feel so bad about it. Thank you for your time this morning. Absolutely. It's been fun. Thanks for having me. That's Dr. Valerie Fredlin, who's a professor of linguistics at the University of Nevada. Check out her book. It is called Like Literally Dude, and it's all about language, the evolving nature of language, and to embrace some of these slangs, which I know some people say drives them crazy, but Dr. Fredlin says, you know what, just go with it.